And we are carrying on in our series called Awakening the City. And the question that we've really been wrestling with is not just kind of what is our posture towards this city, but what is God's posture towards London? Like what is God's heart for this place? Like when he made it, like when he formed it, like all of those years ago, what did he have in mind for this space to be? And when he looks at it now, like where does he long to bring redemption? Like God loves this city and he longs for his people to carry a heart for this place in order that he, uh, it might become all that he longs for it to be. And so over the past few weeks, we have been looking at what it means to be someone who doesn't just extract from the city, who doesn't just take from the city, but is someone who actually serves it. We've looked at what it means for London to move from conflict to a city of refuge by being peacemakers. Um, last week, Kath up in the balcony, she looked at what it meant um, for us to be moving from slavery to freedom. And this week, guys, we've got a good one in store. We are looking at what it means to move from individualism to community. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at different biblical cities. And so this week, we're going to be looking at the city of Ephesus and basing ourselves in the letter um, of the Ephesians. But our question for today, like the thing that we're going to be centering back to again and again, is what does it mean to move from a life turned in on ourselves to a community based on sacrificial love? And this feels like a big thing when it comes to London. Like individualism is one of the most dominant scripts that our city lives out. So this idea of becoming a people of sacrificial love, like not placing ourselves at the top of our lives, not kind of looking through the lens of like, what do I want? Um, but what does it mean to live a life, not just my gain? Like that way of life makes absolutely no sense to our city. And because of that, it's actually one of the most effective witnesses that we have to this community. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, he spells out what it means to be a community based on sacrificial love and how we can practically grow in that. And this is where we're going to land today, um, unpacking Ephesians 3 and 4. Like, that is where we're headed. But in order to get there, we kind of have to backtrack a little bit because building a community of sacrificial love isn't done in a vacuum. Like, in Ephesus, in London, there are other narratives at work which are forming us. So we're going to spend a bit of time first unpacking individualism. But before we launch in, can I just pray for us as we begin? So Lord, we just thank you so much for your presence with us. Lord, we thank you that you are in this space. And Jesus, we just ask now that you would come. Would you speak to each one of us? Would you show us where you are in our lives, God? Lord, I pray that you'd speak through your word and you'd speak through these words I'm going to say. Would you use them for your glory? Amen. Amen. So some of you might remember kind of back in the summertime when it was warm outside, um, we did this kind of eight-week series on Ephesians. And kind of we discovered that in many ways, the ancient city of Ephesus has some real similarities with modern-day London. It was this city that was just like a hive of activity, a place where worlds collided. Lots of different people from all over the empire lived there. It was a pluralistic city. Like lots of gods were worshipped there. But there was one goddess, the goddess Artemis, who was the city's god. And she was deeply kind of loved and revered. And when Paul founded the church in Ephesus, it was really resisted by some in the city. 
Because those who were becoming Christians started burning their scrolls and their kind of witchcraft books to the goddess of Artemis. Um, And they stopped going to the temple, which meant they stopped spending money there. And it kind of all kicked off and the city just starts to riot. It was this hostile city to anyone who believed that Jesus was Lord, not Artemis. And so Paul, a few years later, um, he's now in prison and he writes this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And he's encouraging them to live out their faith in this spiritually concessed city. And in Ephesians chapter one, it's actually the passage that Pete read. He basically says, like, the way to grow in your faith is to grow by knowing Christ. Like, to know that he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Like the way to walk in the freedom that you were called to is to focus on Christ. Like the hope to which he's called you, to know the riches of his glorious inheritance, the incomparably great power for us who believe. And there's this famous Bible commentary on Ephesians written by Alfred. And when he gets to this passage in Ephesians 1, where this kind of Paul is urging them to like know Christ more, this is what he says. He says, Philosophy comes to man with a message, know thyself. But the gospel meets man with a far more glorious and fruitful watchword, know thy God. Like if we focus our attention back to London for a moment, we might not have a temple to Artemis set up down the road. But the narrative that is enshrined in London is know thyself and be your God. And this is at the root of what individualism is. Like this is the narrative at work in our city. Know thyself. Like in other words, like the path to true freedom is to look inside yourself. No one else can save you. The answer lies within. So therefore be your God. And what happens is that instead of lives kind of orientated around Jesus, the self becomes the center of the story. And with that comes the belief that the purpose of life isn't a communal one that requires sacrifice. Instead, the purpose of life is to look after our own kind of personal sense of peace. Like the prevalent belief in London at the moment is that my personal sense of inner peace comes first. It is God. If we can be kind and help people along the way, absolutely, we should do that. But I have to look after myself. I have to be my God. Like a small example of this, um, it's come up quite a lot this week, um, and I've, I've heard spoken loads about, is the practice of manifesting. Like, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's not the sequel to The Exorcist, um, but it's basically kind of this practice which basically says the way to obtain what you desire for your life, and notice here already that kind of individualistic script, but the way to obtain all that you want is to think it into reality. So you practice manifesting daily. People have different methods. Um, Some encourage writing down your desires. Others, it's all about visualization. Um, For others, it's like meditate on the person you want to become. But essentially, the idea is that there is a power within you that you can access, that when it's focused enough, you can think your personal goals into reality. And this practice, this belief, it's really common at the moment. So many people kind of advocating for it as a lifestyle. And when you kind of dig a bit deeper below the surface, so much of that philosophy is from like a kind of new age spirituality. But it's really caught on in the city because it plays straight into that individualistic script which so many people live from. Like know thyself, know what you want, know what you desire, and then be your God. Like you are the architect of your future. You are your own saviour. 
And whilst manifesting is just kind of one of the ways individualism is expressed, like the truth is like we all swim in these waters. Like individualism isn't just something that's kind of out there. It's present in us as well. And it might look different, but individualism is in our bones. Like know thyself, know what you want, what you desire, and be the center of your story. And it can crop up in so many little ways, like that moment you catch yourself like daydreaming about future successes, you know, or maybe choosing things that make life easier for you now, but makes life harder for others in our world. Like I'm guilty of all of these things, like it's seeped into how we think about our faith, how we walk into church on a Sunday, our friends, who we become friends with, our decision making. So why do we do it? Like, why is this narrative so prevalent? Well, there's lots of reasons, but kind of the key word that comes up again and again on studies on individualism is self-reliance, like the valuing of self-sufficiency. One of the reasons individualism has a foothold in our culture is because it's one of the broken ways we've tried to shield ourselves from hurt. Like it's become the narrative we use to protect ourselves from unmet need, from disappointment. Like I've been wounded, I've been let down and no one else is going to fight for me. I can't actually rely on others. So I have no option but to protect myself, to be self-sufficient. I have to be my own saviour. And so we kind of build this wall around us, protecting ourselves from future hurt, relying on ourselves, turning inwards. But the tragedy is that behind the wall of individualism is a life of deep loneliness. Like we live in a city that's desperately lonely. A 2023 um, government study in the UK, it reported that around a quarter of adults felt lonely, with 3.7 million people saying they felt lonely always. And the figures, the percentages were dramatically higher for those aged between 16 and 29. Like, I don't know about you, like, loneliness is a feeling I know really well. Like, if you're honest, like, do you feel that ache of loneliness as well? Like, do you have this desire to be known and fully seen, to love and be loved, and yet at the same time, you're terrified of it? Like, that conflict of emotions that rises up within us, desiring deep connection, and yet at the same time, running 100 miles an hour in the other direction. Like loneliness isn't something, loneliness is something that kind of all ages throughout history have struggled with, but it's acutely <laughs> acute in this time, in this era. And part of that is just the pain of what it means to be human, this side of heaven. Like St. Augustine, the um, North African bishop, he was writing in the fourth century and he says this, he says, loneliness is the best summary we have to name the felt experience of being human. He was a cheery bloke. <laughs> um, but what he's trying to say is that like, we were made in the image and likeness of um, a relational God, a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we were actually meant to be a part of that. Like, we were designed for relationship with God and with one another. Like It's how we were made to live. And yet what Adam and Eve, when they were kind of cast out of the garden, we've ended up therefore not living in the reality of that. Like that vertical relationship with God was damaged. And also the horizontal relationship with each other was as well. 
But there is something in our bones, this latent memory from the Garden of Eden, like that time when we walked and talked with God. Like we carry this kind of latent memory deep within us and we know deep down that we were designed for more than what we're currently experiencing. Like loneliness is part of what it means to live in a broken creation. But what scripture shows us, what other Christian saints throughout the centuries have shown us, is that rather than running from loneliness, rather than denying it or distracting ourselves from it by just, you know, putting on whatever other noise we can put on to fill that ache within us, rather than doing that, when we actually acknowledge loneliness, it has the potential to drive us towards God. We're all born into the world looking for someone who is looking for us. Like we have an innate desire to be seen and known, an ache for connection. And the message of the gospel is that we have a God in the person of Jesus Christ who is looking for us, who has come to find us, who because of his death on a cross made a way for us to be brought back into relationship with him. Like we discover that we are never alone. He is with us. And more than that, he has the power to break down the walls of individualism that we've built up around ourselves, but that have actually now become a place of captivity. Like individualism, being our own saviors, is not the route to freedom. We were made to be in relationship with Jesus, and it's only in him, like in union with Christ, that we find eternal longing, satisfied. Like Jesus invites us out of self-sufficiency and he shows us a different way to live. He restores that kind of vertical relationship with God, but he also restores the horizontal, like forming us into a community of love. Like, you know, for so many of us, like our deepest wounds have come from relationship. But so often God uses relationship to bring about our deepest healing. And that's been my story, like, and it's very much a process I'm still on. But it's kind of why I'm really kind of passionate about this today, because I really know that feeling of isolation and loneliness. But my story is one of Jesus coming to find me, of what happens when like, your wounds come into an encounter with him. Like when I was little, there were some things I experienced which made those walls go up strong and fast. And living a life of self-reliance, although I wasn't kind of conscious of it as a kid, was subconsciously like the only option that seemed open to me. It was like I kind of built this fortress around myself. And whilst that kind of kept me safe for over time, I kind of wasn't in control of it anymore. I couldn't get out. And I kind of became like an observer to my life. Like, I don't know if you know that feeling, like you're not quite present. Like you act the right way, you do the right things, but you actually never allow anyone in. And to be honest, I didn't even know how. And it feels safe, but it's incredibly, incredibly lonely. And I remember one moment um, around the age of 19, my parents had dropped me off at my kind of first day of uni. Um, and they'd, bless them, they'd lugged up all of these suitcases up like seven flights of stairs because the lift was broken. What uni's lift is broken on moving day? Awful. Um, but bless them, like they were, you know, here you go, Emma, we love you. This is, this is how much we love you. And they basically helped me unpack. And um, they were like, okay, like probably time to say goodbye. You're going to be okay. And I was like, absolutely. You go for it, guys. Like best years of my life ahead of me. I cannot wait. Like, thanks so much for all your help. But yep, yeah, off you go. And I shut the door behind them. And as soon as I shut the door, I just burst into tears. 
like this fear of being in this new place, not knowing anyone in a kind of massive city in London, like this wave of loneliness just hit me. And everything in me wanted to open the door and just shout down the hall to my parents, like, I'm actually not okay. I really could do with a hug right now. But I couldn't. Like, the walls in front of me, they were way too big. They were way too established by then. It was this ache for connection to be truly seen in that moment and yet terrified of anyone actually ever seeing me. But God, in his grace, like, he, he met me during that time. And as I look back kind of over the last 10 years, I can see different moments in my story where Jesus has been at work, like, dismantling this wall in front of me as I've kind of brought my wounds into an encounter with him. I remember having this encounter with God's love, like just sitting in this kind of grubby chair in my university bedroom, like overwhelmed with loneliness. But I kind of called out to God, honestly in anger, um, but in his grace, he met me. And I realized that I wasn't alone. Like I knew that before, but like I experienced it. I wasn't alone. And I realized I'd never had been alone, and I was never, ever going to be alone. And more than that, this kind of deep longing within me that kind of never I managed to be able to articulate, like suddenly it found rest in him. And as that kind of vertical relationship between God and myself grew, like so much healing came from that place. Like I started to know, like I was chosen, I was forgiven, I wasn't abandoned or rejected, I was loved. And healing's a process, right? Like it hasn't all been linear for me at all. But I remember there came um, a point last year where I realized that that vertical relationship between me and God, like we'd, we'd gotten pretty good at it. Like we'd, we'd kind of, you know, we and God are good. But there was more that God wanted to do. And it was the healing, honestly, that I was dreading because I knew God was saying like, it's time to let others in. It's time to let others into that part of your life. It's time for the horizontal healing. Like, there's more freedom that I want for you. And I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it through others. And we often say at KXC, like, God stirs up stuff for the purpose of healing. Like, just as a throw out, like, when God is bringing stuff up in your life, like, do not ignore those moments. Like, grab hold of it with both hands. And last year for me, like, a fresh wave of stuff just surfaced. But it was the people around me who helped me grab hold of what God wanted to set me free from when I couldn't grab hold of it myself. And this is how God designed it to be. That each of us in like little and big ways are called to be part of each other's healing journey. Like whether it's simply just being obedient and sharing a prophetic word or, you know, just coming up to the front and standing with someone in ministry time as they encounter Jesus. Or maybe it's in kind of more long-term ways, like walking with people in our hub, like holding faith for them when they can't hold it for themselves, like championing people to kind of step into the fullness of who God's created them to be. Like for me, there was um, one moment of this that really stuck out from last year. And I was with a friend at a Christian event. And um, we were kind of friends for a while, but hadn't really kind of, you know, shared much. And um, we hadn't really hung up much just by ourselves. Um, And confession time, like the event had gotten quite boring. Um, So the rebels that I am, and this is as rebellious as I get, basically, um, we decided we'd like sack off the end of the event and we'd go to the bar and find a drink. Um, It seemed a lot more appealing than what we were currently listening to. Um, So that's what we did. 
And we ended up finding this room that kind of wasn't occupied. So we were like, great, let's kind of go in here. And we sat down and we just started talking. And after 10 minutes or so, I just heard the spirit whisper, Emma, share your story. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, that's way too intense. Like, we've just left the intensity of a Christian event. Like, I don't want to kind of bring it on in here. Let's keep it nice and breezy and light. But I just heard the whisper again, like, Emma, share your story. And I didn't know why. It made no sense. I couldn't understand it. But I thought, fine, like, I'll do it. And at that moment, um, God's grace, she asked me how counseling was going. So I took this deep breath and kind of rather than giving that, you know, standard one-line answer that we all have in our pockets for moments like that, I went there and I shared my whole story with her. And a couple of sentences in, like she grabbed my arm, like she looked me in the eye and she said, Emma, like that's my story as well. And I don't know if you've had those moments that feel like sacred, but it was like in that moment, God just took a bulldozer to the wall that was in front of me. And whereas before it was only God who truly kind of knew and saw me, for the first time in my life, it was like someone else could finally see behind the wall. And we just spent hours sharing our stories. And like, I wish I could describe it to you. It was like a prayer ministry moment, just without the kind of gentle synth behind me. Um, But honestly, it was like deliverance. It was like this lie that I'd been trapped in for years was being dismantled in this conversation. Like, you don't need to protect yourself anymore. You're safe. And I could literally feel fear, like, leave my body. Like, in this interaction, God was transforming my pain and bringing about wholeness through community. And, you know, it's still a journey I'm on. As I said, it's been multifaceted, different people, counseling, all the rest of it. But I share it because I think for some in the room today, it is time for healing. Like, it's time to move out of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Like, the things that we thought were keeping us safe, but have actually ended up imprisoning us. Like, I think God wants to meet us in those areas of unmet need. And for some of us, it's actually just that first step. That first vertical step of bringing your wounds into an encounter with Jesus. Like, of meeting the one, of experiencing the one who left heaven to find you like the one who can satisfy that deep eternal longing that you carry. And for others of us, like we've done that vertical step. And I think Jesus is saying like, hey, like this Christian life, it it isn't just vertical. Like, yes, our relationship with God is of fundamental importance, but the Christian life is horizontal as well. And I would just wonder if for some of us today, God's saying like, it's time for those walls to come down, not just between kind of us and God, but between us and each other. And that's often a process. Like, God is so kind in that healing journey that he knows the speed we need to travel at. But my hunch is that there's some in the room today and God's just saying, it is time. Like, it is time. And if that's you, I just encourage you, at the end, we'll have space for prayer. Just come forward. And, um, you know, just like me, maybe saying, like, Lord, I actually can't do this. I can't free myself. But, Lord, would you come and bring the bulldozer? Like, would you come and set me free? So moving from individualism to community, moving from a life turned in on ourselves to being a people of sacrificial love is a journey. But it's one that Paul speaks about so, so often. And for those of you who can remember the beginning of this talk, um, we have finally reached our destination, Ephesians 3 and 4. Um, So just for the last five minutes, I just want to land with just three things that Paul encourages us to grow in as we become this community of love. 
So the first one, a community of love, a community of calling, and a community of witness. So in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about what it looks like to practically live together in unity. But all of these practical instructions, they're born out of the previous few verses where he urges the Ephesians to be rooted and established in Christ's love. Like in other words, like the measure to which we grasp Christ's love for us is the measure to which we'll be able to be unified. Like in John 15 verse 12, Jesus puts it like this. He says, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, like a community of sacrificial love is sustained by people who know they are loved by Christ. And if we don't start with this, then we'll be running after just false community. Like if individualism says kind of all my unmet needs are going to be found in myself, then like kind of false community over here says all my unmet needs are going to be found in you. It's a lot. Henry Nouwen, he comments on this and he says this. He says, if we do not know we are the beloved sons and daughters of God, we're going to expect someone in the community to make us feel that way. They cannot. We'll expect someone to give us that perfect, unconditional love. But community is not loneliness grabbing onto loneliness. I'm so lonely and you're so lonely. It's solitude grabbing onto solitude. I am the beloved. You are the beloved. Together we can build home. Being formed into a community of sacrificial love means finding our security in the love of the Father and looking at others through the lens of Christ. Like, you know, how we treat each other in this community reveals how deeply we've understood our identities as beloved children of God. Like, it will inform whether we see each other as competition, whether we see each other just as kind of potential partners, potential boyfriends, potential girlfriends who we can kind of use to satisfy something in us. People, um, you know, who can just be used to make us feel better or fill a need. Instead, we are beloved children of God, each full of value. So like, how do you walk into church each week? How do you choose a hub? Like, are you coming in wanting to get something from others? Or are you coming in wanting to give yourself away, to serve others, to love others? Paul is saying like, we're only ever going to be able to form that type of community when we find our identity in him. So secondly, community as calling. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And in our kind of individualistic mindset, we kind of hear that as like a personal cry of like, woohoo, go for it, go for your individual journey, like you can do it. But that isn't what Paul is saying here at all. Um, our English translations really miss it because Paul is speaking in the second person plural. So he's saying our calling. It's a communal calling which Paul is urging us to run after, to orientate our lives around. And he goes on to say that kind of what it is. He says, we've been called to be one, to be one family. The message version puts it really well. It says, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together both inwardly and outwardly. And the rest of the verses in chapter four show us really practically how to do that. To speak truthfully to one another, build each other up, stop bitterness, stop rage, but be kind, be compassionate, forgive each other. Like this is the calling that we've been given. We love to think of, you know, calling in that individualistic way. Like, what is God doing in my life? Like, what is my mission? What has God got for me this year? But that is such foreign language to the New Testament. Like, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about that stuff. He does. But Paul would say, hey, like, 
spend less time thinking about yourself and more time thinking about how we can be formed together as a community of love. And it kind of feels a bit jarring, right? Almost slightly offensive. But once you recognize this, you cannot unsee it in scripture. Like very rarely does the New Testament speak about individual faith outside of the context of community. Like, like take the Lord's Prayer, for instance, we've just said it. Give us today our daily bread. Like how many of us pray that thinking, give me today, God, what I need. But what actually it says is give us today our daily bread. So in other words, like we're praying as a community in that moment, as a collective, not just what do I need, but like, Lord, provide for us as a family. Like what can I sacrifice in order that I can become an answer to that communal prayer? It's a whole new way of viewing our faith. Like not through the lens of ourselves, but through the lens of a God who is forming us to be a community. And the reason that's so key takes us just to our final point. This community of sacrificial love isn't just for us. It's in order that we become a witness to the world. In John 17, Jesus starts praying for us and he says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one as we are one, brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. It's a, it's a very beautiful and equally very confusing passage. <laughs> Lots of ones and me's and you's and you're like, huh, what? But he's speaking of the Trinity here and that's why it's so confusing. Like this unity of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and don't worry, 2,000 years of church history also testify to how confusing it is. I'm not going to speak on it long because I undoubtedly will stray into heresy. Um, but not only are we invited into unity kind of that lies at the heart of the Trinity, but because we're made in the image and likeness of a relational God, as Jesus says in the latter part of that verse, when we start living in unity with one another, like preferring each other over ourselves, we are showing something of the very nature of God to the world. Like when we love one another, as we're formed together in community, that's when the world sees that Jesus is Lord. And that's not something you can do by yourself. Like there's no such thing as private faith just between you and God. Like crucial to our witness to the world is growing in our love for each other as the body of Christ. Like practically, this looks like going against the trend of London. Like not settling for transient relationships, but committing to one another over the long haul. It's like forgiving each other when we let each other down, which, which will absolutely happen. Like this is by no means a perfect community at all. Like we forgive each other though. We care for one another, not seeing each other as things to satisfy our own needs, but championing one another. Like people who say um, the world says should never be reconciled, being reconciled to one another. Like that testifies to the power that Jesus is Lord. Now I'll kind of end with this. Like individualism is still the dominant script in London. Like know thyself and be your God. But there's this growing awareness that this script isn't working anymore. Like, I've never known so many people to be more open to Jesus in this place than they are right now. Like, we were in a staff meeting um, a couple of weeks ago, and three different staff members started to share how that week, people who haven't been in touch with them for years, got in touch with them out of the blue last week, wanting to find out about Jesus. Like, the life they've been leading wasn't working, but they kind of remembered an old random conversation they'd had years ago and said, hey, could I, any chance I could come to your church? Like three, three different people just in the last week. 
And it's happening all over the place. And I just want to name, like, that isn't normal. <laughs> like, our city is searching right now. And I think some of what God is wanting to do in this season is free us, his church, his witnesses from this prison of individualism, of self-sufficiency, to bring healing to where we've tried to be our own saviors so that we're not just echoes to the culture around us, but we can actually be a voice of hope into it. Like people who can stand with our city and say, I know the loneliness you're experiencing. I know that longing deep within you. I feel it too. But that script of individualism you've got will not meet those unmet needs. It will just imprison you more. But there is another way. Like there's a God who loves you, who wants to set you free. And I just think in this season, he's calling the church, you and me, to be a voice of hope into loneliness. But it starts by being people who have experienced something of that healing ourselves. And that will only ever be a work of the Spirit.